Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. With us today is my very dear friend, Gopi Rangan. Gopi, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ. Thank you very much. It's exciting to be a guest on Future XYZ. I've listened to and watched many episodes. Looking forward to talking to you about venture capital. Well, I'm looking forward to it also. I mean, you have had quite an illustrious career. You studied electrical engineering and started out as a software developer and then R&D expert at Intel, where after business school, you went back to head up venture capital and M&A for, I think you were there for almost seven years in that role before you went out in a series of uh, entrepreneurial ventures within the venture capital space, which is quite unusual. That's true. I'm uh, an entrepreneur in the VC world myself now that I started my own firm about four years ago. And that firm called Sure Ventures really focuses on certain uh, areas of impact and looks also to have a positive impact uh, and ensure returns. So I, I want to give a chance to talk about that in the context of our conversation about the future of venture capital. Um, the other thing I'll call out um, as, as you're entered, I think, episode 92 or something, you're at 20 episodes or 15 episodes ahead of me in your own podcast called Sure, sure Shot Entrepreneur. Um, and that's really about having business leaders and VCs and CEOs and business leaders help kind of tell the story of what's necessary, right? To, 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 for, for entrepreneurs to grow a business. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Sure Ventures, but the, the reason why I started the podcast is Founders think that whole VC world is a black box. They don't understand how things work. When VCs say no, and by the way, they say no 99 times before they say one yes, the feedback doesn't really help them. It's wishy-washy. How can founders prepare so they can be effective in the first one or two meetings with VCs? Privileged founders have help. They can prepare much better. Founders who are not privileged, who come from backgrounds, they don't have a network of VCs in their world, they come unprepared and therefore it's not an effective meeting and they struggle. So that was the genesis of the podcast. And I, I felt like, hey, you know, I'm going to call my VC friends and ask them questions about what do you do? What, what happens in that first meeting? So it kind of demystified the, the process so it'd be useful for entrepreneurs. And hopefully that brings more diversity in the ecosystem. Well, and let's just talk for a second. I want to talk about diversity in the ecosystem very, very much, as you know. Um, but I also think it's really important because many listeners or viewers of Future of XYZ may have heard of venture capital, but you know, everyone I feel like today has heard of venture capital, but don't necessarily know what it is. So can we talk about what, what it is? Sure. Venture capital is an industry that supports, it acts as a glue between three things. The first thing is uh, founders. That's, the, that's like the son of the solar system. Everything revolves around the founders. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is problems or ideas that uh, turn into businesses. What problems can we solve? What opportunities exist? And how can we build innovative solutions? So that's the second part. 
The third part is capital. And capital for venture capital comes from limited partners who invest in VC firms. So access to capital matters to founders. And VCs are the glue that connect all three together. VCs bring capital into the market. They work with founders who they believe in. They tend to be the earliest believers in an idea. And when those ideas flourish and become big, they have a huge impact in the world. Hopefully positive impact. There are a lot of positive impacts. And there are also things that I don't want to invest in, which I don't think creates positive impact. Uh, that's why I created Sure Ventures with the mission to enable peace of mind where I invest in founders who build solutions to build a better safety net, focus on industries that need to be modernized with the innovative solutions, which act as a backbone for the future of our society. So those are the things that I invest in. That's kind of in a nutshell what venture capital is about. And, but venture capital is different. I mean, I think one of the reasons, you know, this is the future of venture capital, but I think it's important because you are a venture capitalist and you've been in this space for a long time. So you're perhaps a little bit more um, uh, bullish than others. I mean, the thing that I didn't hear you say, Gopi, in, in, in the description of what venture capital is, is that venture capitalists put risk on the line ostensibly for a payoff within a set period of time, usually in the venture world, that's a longer term horizon, maybe five to 15 years, right? But the, the, the anticipation of giving money when something is just a nascent idea, and we'll talk about the stages of it, is that you are going to get a huge payoff. You basically yes. have a, a, a multiple on your return that you cannot find anywhere else by making a good bet. Is that, is that fair? That's true. Uh, the father of venture capital is George Dorio. George Dorio is the founder of INSEAD, where you and I went to business school as well, uh, one of the founders. He was one of the first VCs in the world. He invested in this company called Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, many, many decades ago. And that turned into a huge outcome. The principles with which he invests, invested in founders still remains true today. He felt that Founders and investors, VCs, win together and lose together. If the outcome is huge, then there should be a big upside for the investors as well. So he invested in equity. He invested in founders with very uh, early stage ideas where things are not fully proven well. And there's a huge market opportunity to uh, perhaps even create uh, industries. And that's what uh, he believed in. And many of those things are true. Actually, strangely, he talked about diversity, having a diversified portfolio, investing in founders that are overlooked. Uh, that's where the hidden gems are. And I feel like the industry has you know, fallen short in terms of diversity, but there are many things that he has said uh, still holds true. And you're right, the upside is huge for investors who invest in venture funds and also for VCs who take these bets in, on founders before anybody else believes in them. And, and so it is one of the ways that founders, um, whether diverse or, or, or kind of traditionally white male, um, Western white male, can in fact access capital to, as you said before, drive innovation in this flywheel that kind of moves, yeah. ostensibly moves um, society and the world and certainly capitalism forward. Um, the amount of money, however, that has gone into venture has been growing exponentially. I mean, I think that the number in 1997, 98 was that there was about $10 billion invested, but only about 6% of that was going to startups. 
because that ecosystem didn't quite exist in the same way it does now. Whereas in 2021, in the US alone, we put in 330 billion into startups of different stages and globally 643 billion both of these are almost 2x what it was the year before. So somehow in the midst of an economic or a global health crisis, the economic expansion of the venture capital world and ostensibly the startup world grew 2x, which is kind of mind boggling. Can you talk a little bit about why that's happened? And actually, is there that much innovation out there? Or is this getting so heated because people are, are getting greedy? So let's talk about the three things I talked about. The first is founders. The second is ideas and access to capital. Is entrepreneurship a more favored career choice for people today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? The answer is yes. A lot more entrepreneurs are out there in the world. And many of them have ambitious plans to build the next Google, next Amazon, next Salesforce. So that's a big positive. The second is ideas. Are there problems waiting to be solved? And if you look at the GDP, which is, you know, let's say, $90 trillion, there are multiple segments within the GDP that form all these different industries. Every industry is being touched by technology, yeah. transformed by technology. For example, the advertisement industry is, let's say, it's about 30-40% uh, transformed digitally. And that has produced the world where we see Google, Facebook, and Instagram, and many other companies like that, that build their businesses with advertisement revenues. Yeah. If that's the case with advertising, then look at all the other sectors, transportation, communication, media, industry, insurance. insurance, banking, those are all, and every industry is getting transformed, which means yeah. that there's lots and lots of problems waiting to be solved. That's the second part. The third part is access to capital. This is the interesting piece, why you see all these numbers going through the roof. And the reason why there is more investment in venture capital is that in the public market, the number of stocks has cut in half, which means things have consolidated, there are not many choices, and the returns are not that attractive. All those, all those dollars are now moving into the private market. And venture capital is a very attractive asset class for investors who like to take long-term risks. That's why you see more and more money flowing into venture capital. So now there are many types of investors. Previously, it used to be uh, endowments, foundations, and maybe some insurance companies and pension funds. But now there are lots of family offices, even individuals, they want access to this asset class. And this is the part where I think there's major changes happening in the industry because now this asset class, which used to be exclusive to a small group of people only, now it's getting democratized and more available to people that was not previously available. So collecting, collecting all these three together, three trends together, that's why you see there's huge movement in this space. So let's talk about that last point that you made, which is like, people who weren't traditionally. So the, the largest venture fund in the world is Google Ventures or GV for short, which spun out of Google in 2009, has over $8 billion of, of, of assets <laughs> under management, right? And, and basically is partnered with Alphabet. Then you have places that are famous like Andreessen Horowitz out in the Silicon Valley. You have places like Sequoia Capital, you know, there are, there are many, 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 as you say, and now there are family offices, but many of these have, you know, in the $300 million range or so. I mean, these are huge amounts of money that are being run by a very small and selective group of people. 
you say that there are family offices, but those are rich families with legacy of wealth, right? Either this generation or multiple generations. Like how is the average person or can the average person get involved? Or as you say, there's less choice and less returns in the stock market, which still is only 2% of the American population or something crazy that's invested in. Now we're talking about moving it so that the gains are even higher for the wealthiest among us. Like how is venture, is venture just a vehicle for funding wealth? That's a very good question. Uh, the asset class is not only exclusive, but only available for people who are able to take such risks. That naturally brings a selection of very wealthy people who are able to invest and take that risk and create even more wealth. So the question comes up like, now is it possible for the average investor on the street to access this asset class? Until a few years ago, that was not possible. There was a, there's a now uh, a new law jobs act passed, which is now uh, has enabled the possibility for the average investor to be able to invest in startups through these type of venture capital vehicles. I would say it's still very, very early stages. Uh, the, the founder of Sequoia, Don Valentine, spent three years raising the first fund. Why? Because it was such a struggle for him. And the reason is that he didn't go to Harvard Business School. He didn't have an MBA. He didn't come from Wall Street. So he was not part of that whole investment profile, investor profile that is typically seen. In fact, the way he explained it was, you know, I'm, what I'm doing is not investing. I'm in the business of company building. I'm working with the founders to give them all the resources they can build a company in the future that will be huge. That has changed. I feel like some of these larger and larger funds, is, um, they are not focused on, they, although some of them call themselves venture capital, like uh, SoftBank is a venture capital firm, but when you have a $100 billion uh, fund and you're not investing at the earliest stages, you're investing in much later stages, are you still a venture capital firm? Right. I'm not really sure. But because venture capital is such a sexy word, people attach the, the phrase to their business and call it venture capital, but I don't think they're venture capital. Mm. The real true venture capital firms are the firms like what Dan, Don Valentine uh, initially built at Sequoia. These are the firms that take the first bet. That's why they were called Series A investments. Series A investment is A because it's the first round of investment. Be after friends and family are C, yeah. right? Friends and family didn't exist. People didn't invest in startups. That has now become a, a real round. And then there was a seed round. And seed round was a, a later, later round after pre-seed. So there's a new introduction called pre-seed. So after all of these changes, Series A has become the fourth or fifth round of funding. Right. And that has uh, really changed the market. The early stage has stretched out because everybody wants to be an early stage investor. They call themselves an early stage investor, but they don't invest in early stage. Right. And the later stages of these companies, companies stay private for a long time. The unicorns didn't exist. The billion dollar companies never stayed private. They would go public. Absolutely. And instead now they're staying private, which means that only private market investors are able to access these companies that go upside. The valuations. And, and that's something that's, I think, interesting that happened over the course of last year, if my understanding of the market is correct, which is basically this early stage, as you say, friends and family, seed, pre-seed, whatever, did not exist. It was series A, and then you kind of continued to grow to mid-stage, later stage. But as you said, unicorns, which are billion-dollar valuations or higher of companies, typically were public. They had an IPO long before they came to that. Now you have many, many companies. Um, I forget last year was the, the number one year on record for a number of unicorns that, that exploded onto the world, many of which, as you said, 
are private and everyone's hankering to get in to have that investment. So actually the overvaluation of the how venture looks at companies is a multiple, right? And the multiple was 70 to 80X versus what is standard 10 to 20X because these later stage investors were coming in and jacking up the price. So there is actually talk in the world right now that 2022 is kind of a shutdown or diminishment, but actually it's just kind of probably, and tell me what you think, a level setting. And I'd be curious for the future, where are we going? Uh, 2022 is going to be a weird year. Uh, there is definitely correction already happening. When companies stay private, the information is not transparent to the world. It's only available, uh, the health of the company is uh, only available to the small group of private investors who are invested in the company. So it's very easy to hype up valuation for some of these companies and uh, there's no check and balance. There's no easy way to know if you're a new investor suddenly arriving at a later stage and got a hyped up valuation, you wouldn't know whether it's uh, worthy of the valuation, uh, whether the multiples make sense. You have to have your own acumen and the public markets are there to keep these checks and balances. And there's a way for people to uh, evaluate these opportunities. And when these companies stay private, they get hyped up. And things got really hyped up over the past two years, uh, all, to, all the way through, not only in later stages, but even in earlier stages, many companies that shouldn't get funded got funded. There was a lot of dumb money floating around. I think in 2022, some of that will go away and we'll see how the rest of the year plan, plays out. Some of these changes are good. I'm glad that the correction is coming and valuations are coming back to the ground and it's not at sky high valuations. Uh, it's not very healthy when sky high valuations uh, sustain for a long time uh, and companies go bust uh, and it's, it creates a, a vicious cycle. This correction will hopefully bring a lot of goodness in the market, but sustained long-term downturn is going to be harmful for innovation. So that's what I'm worried about. We'll wait and see how far the downturn lasts and how, how much goodness it brings. It's interesting. I, I, I hadn't asked about a downturn, but that's how you answered. And so that's interesting, just a downturn in, in, in venture investment. But I remember, you know, I'm always that provocatrice, as you well know, um, and I remember sitting in a room uh, at a conference that beat my former employer, BCG, had put on with a bunch of uh, consumer investors. It was a consumer conference, but there are very few people from the consumer space. There were a lot of investors and a lot of VC. And I remember asking one of the panelists, I don't understand where this is coming from. And this was, by the way, in 2016 and said, where is this coming from? Because there's no profitability. There's no actual data. There's no numbers behind this. Like, what are you betting on? And isn't that dangerous to, you know, not hold people accountable to, to cash flow, to the basic tenets of business? And then you're giving them so much money. Like, isn't that teaching bad behavior um, and incentivizing risky behavior? And I think some of what you're talking about is actually like, uh, you know, the chatter in the boardroom right now certainly seems to be like, you know, uh, uh, whoa, 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 show me the data. I want to see that you're profitable. And a lot of people who are going out for money right now are, are, are struggling if that's not their reality or their earlier stage. Is that, is that accurate also? That is true. Uh, when the hype cycle is at the peak, uh, there's this joke in Silicon Valley that a thousand people go to a bar and nobody buys a drink. Uh, is that a successful bar? You got a thousand people, like 2000 eyeballs staring at all these drinks. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not good business. 
there has to be a strong business model. There has to be a way to generate revenue and sustainable profits. There has to be a path to profitability in the future. They don't have to be profitable right away, but you know, there has to be a path to getting there. I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 plus years. Uh, I watched the dot-com bust happen in 2000, 2001, around that time. In those days, companies that were loss-making barely had a website going, oh, you have a URL, let's go public. And you know, that was the face at that time. That's not happening now. There are companies, even the thousand unicorns that are private, many of them have very good products. Uh, they have a solid business. They have uh, good revenue streams. And they have path to profitability if they're not profitable yet. So I'm much more optimistic now than I was, uh, you know, if I reflect on the dot-com bust time. So that's not happening. That kind of hype cycle is not where we are. Uh, some companies are definitely, I think they're overhyped and valuations are like 50X, 100X revenue. I don't think that's uh, sustainable. Uh, but the interest rates going up and inflation uh, affecting all of these numbers, it is going to bring some of these numbers back down to the 8X, 10X revenues uh, multiples that we've seen, which are much more sustainable. So as a final question, Gopi, you have been an adjunct professor at INSEAD, um, specifically on their San Francisco campus for a, a class that's basically an elective called Biz Building Business in the Silicon Valley. What is, from the future of venture capital perspective and all of your 20 plus years of expertise and experience in this, what do you recommend to, you know, kind of budding entrepreneurs? What is your, what, what do you try to leave them with? The class I teach is uh, designed to encourage uh, MBA students and uh, other business students as well. There's a master's in management program, and sometimes there are executive education programs as well. Uh, the course is designed to inspire them to think about entrepreneurship as a career choice, either right away or sometime down in the future. The future of venture capital hinges on these entrepreneurs building amazing businesses. So that's what I'm very, very excited about. I think in the future, we will have more entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is not only for uh, the neglected part of the, the society that are like mavericks and weirdos it will actually become a more mainstream career choice for people. That's my hope. And I see many signs of that already happening. And that's a good, good thing for all of us. When people go out and build businesses, instead of becoming advisors or brokers along the way, they actually take risk and they take skin in the game and create something that will build valuable things for the society. We will all benefit. And I'm waiting to see more such entrepreneurs coming into the world. Um, Gopi, thank you for joining us to, today to talk about the future of venture capital and sharing your expertise with uh, the future of XYZ guests. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share some uh, insights that I've developed over the years. I'm also a student and I'm learning. Thank you very much for putting together this show. Um, Gopi, you're the best. Um, anyone listening, uh, you should absolutely check out Gopi's podcast. It's amazing. Uh, sure shot entrepreneur. Uh, sure Ventures is his company uh, and his funds. And uh, anyone listening who doesn't already subscribe to Future of XYZ should make sure you do so at YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcast and visit future-of.xyz or follow us on Instagram to make sure that you know what's happening and to nominate yourself for someone else as a future guest. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Again, Gopi, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Lisa.
Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.